we begin to realize that we're not our actions, we're not our thoughts, we're not the mind, and we can begin to become less attached to these things that we were and create a new version of ourselves. And so exploration is another tenet, another key principle of the of the conscious warrior model for me. And so exploring our inner world is something that we don't do enough. Again, just come back to the simplicity of spending five minutes every day thinking about who you've been. We have an ability to be reflective on who we are and who we've been. And if it doesn't align with what our values are, then we can move through that. That's Stefano Stefandos, And this is episode 260 of Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. In this podcast, we're talking about a brand new yet incredibly powerful topic called Evolutionary Wholeness with my friend, world-class speaker and author, Stephanos Stefandos. Now, if you haven't heard of Stephanos, not only is he an absolute powerhouse of a human being, a conscious man who leads men's work online in person across the world, but he just also happens to live here as my neighbor in Encinitas, which is why I'm so thrilled to bring you this podcast. We recorded it just hours ago and I was so on fire from the conversation that I wanted to get you this hot off the microphones. One of my favorite deep dive conversations of 2019 to date. I've come to know Steph over the past six months doing work with him, spending time together and seriously honored to be able to spotlight this amazing human being for your listening and really edutainment pleasure. This is one thing I've realized in my life. Can you relate to this? Focusing on enjoying the process, enjoying the climb, focusing on the joy, not making life so serious and allowing all of us to have this space and the capacity to do our personal development work, but not have it be so arduous. Yes, we can do our personal development and our growth and have it be fun at the same time and have it be expansive. But we can't have fun. We can't enjoy the process if our body isn't feeling great. And I'll raise my hand and admit that the past three months, for me, I've had a lot of health challenges, getting sick a few times. But one thing that has been my absolute bedrock, my go-to, two and even sometimes three times a day, has been my Organifi Green and Red Juice. I want to talk about the green and red specifically because not only do they believe in wellness force in our mission of this discovering process for the physical and emotional intelligence, but they also sponsor our podcast. They have legitimately given me the most trusted micronutrient delivery system on the planet, which I get to share with you. And this is through adaptogens. Now, these are plant compounds. These adaptogens go into our mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of our cell. It's where all the energy is derived from. So think of this. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've been sluggish or tired and you like slam an espresso to get some kind of external energy source? (laughs) We've all been there. The great news is like we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to get energy from stimulants on the outside. We can actually get energy from the inside of ourselves through these plant adaptogens. They're actually freaking magic. These adaptogens go so deep down into the mitochondria that they give it this fuel source. Now, if this seems daunting to go to the store and get fruits and vegetables, take the path of least resistance. Get your micronutrients and your greens and reds from this slow-dried organic non-GMO powder to stack the environment in your favor. Head over to Organifi.com forward slash wellness force And give Organifi Red and Green Juice a test drive. You get the ashwagandha from the green to help manage stress and increase energy. And also you get the reishi and the cordyceps from the red, which helps to boost immunity. And of course, you get the hookup because you're part of the Wellness Board community. That's 20% off. Just use code wellnessforce at Organifi.com forward slash wellnessforce. You will not find a bigger discount anywhere else online. You get the best code for 20% over at Organifi.com forward slash wellnessforce. Because in your life, 
You're a force of love and energy and wellness for the family and friends you care about. And this is why on this episode with Steph and I, we so deeply explore what it means to be our best self. That term is thrown around so much in the industry, isn't it? How do we become our best selves? We're actually going to go to the tactical and the pragmatic pieces that have helped Steph transcend literally an incredible, remarkable background of violence and hardship as a youth to transcend negative feedback loops and utilize powerful emotional intelligence and also somatic tools like breath work and journaling and different embodiment practices to now be able to be one of the most sought after speakers in regards to both men's work and emotional intelligence on the planet. Do not miss the show notes. We have a ton of resources for you today from this conversation. As always, we take the notes for you copiously. These are at wellnessforce.com forward slash 260. That's wellnessforce.com forward slash 260 to get free resources and links and videos from Stephanos. Now I'm not going to wait one more second. Here we go. Live and in person with the one and only Stephanos Sifandos. Steph, thank you so much for letting me come to your house. I want to say welcome to Wellness Force, but I'm in your home. <laughs> you are Wellness Force, brother. So I'm, thank I'll you. be welcoming me to you. This is special for me because I I love doing podcasts with my friends mm. and I've gotten to know you. Gosh, it's been probably six months now that yeah. we've been hanging out. Yeah. And you are just this in there. I've never seen you be anything other than inspirational. I know you're a human being. You have your days where you're not perfect and everything else. <laughs> Every day. But where does this come from, man? You you have this this fire inside of you that I, that I truly feel all the time. And, and it's this fire of like, you always sign your, your Instagrams and your socials with uh, one is glad to be of service. Yeah. Like what is up with this fire that you have inside of you that makes you affects people in a positive way? There's a movie Bicentennial Man with um, Robin Williams, who's, I, I just, I admired him so much growing up watching a lot of Amer uh, many American movies uh, in Australia and in Bicentennial Man, I won't tell you the plot. This was, it's, it's a long plot, but it's a beautiful, it's one of my favorite movies. And he, he basically signs off, not everything he says, but so much of what he says with one is glad to be of service. Mm. And I love that. And I resonated so much with that. And I thought, if I could just be of service, I feel my life is complete. My life is unraveling the way I want it to. And so yeah. if we go back a little bit about this fire, and I thank you very much for your compliments too. It's something I can feel, man. It's palpable all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is a fire within me. And ever since I was young, I, I wanted to be United Nations Secretary General. United Nations. Yeah. Okay. Well, back then I had a misconception of what the UN was. Now, I mean, I, geopolitically and socioeconomically, now I know the UN to be different. And the way I understand geopolitics, the way I understand the world that we live in is different to how I understood when I was five, six, seven years old. And I always tell my mom, I want to be United Nations Secretary General. I can, I can help the world and we can, people can eat and there'll be no poverty. There'll be peace. Yeah. That, that type of thing. It wouldn't be unnecessary war and violence and et cetera, et cetera. And you know, when you're a kid, it's, well, not for everyone. For me, my voids became my values. And so when you ask where this fire comes from, I felt all those things, I felt very uh, – I, I grew up in, in an abusive household. So I grew up in violence. And so for me, that was the norm. And so this fire to live an inspirational life, which I don't always – I mean, I, I'm not going to say I don't get it right. I, I do get it right. I just sometimes I, I, I falter and I lose my shit. You do that human I, thing. <laughs> yeah, I do that human thing very regularly. Yeah. But there's a drive there to, to, to live a life that – isn't dictated by our emotions, isn't dictated by our circumstances that 
there's this level of awareness that almost moves through and rises above the mundane or the superficial. And so there's this this exploration. And I've been very blessed in my life that I've I've pursued experiences that have allowed me to touch God or feel like God, feel like the divine, feel this oneness, this permeating oneness that actually exists. Some through plant medicines, some through just conscious breath work, through yeah. gratitude practice, through sitting practice, meditation, whatever you, you want to call it. took me through a breath work that was so powerful. I'm stoked to share that on the show today. Yeah, oh, we'll, we'll share that later. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. I, just it, so, so much of, there's so much richness in life, this thing called awareness. And so all morning, by the way, I've been listening to Advaita Vedanta, which is non-dual Vedanta, which is a, just a form of... It's a form of philosophy, it's a form of being, it's a form of understanding our reality and what consciousness is. And so I'm just consistently toying with this and playing with this notion of what is real and what is us. What is it what does it mean to be human? That's that's a question. That's a big question. You're a deep guy, man. <laughs> and, and you know it's funny, you have this term on your website that I absolutely love. It's called evolutionary wholeness. And it really it's the subject of a lot of the questions I'm gonna ask you today. Evolutionary wholeness. Like when did you come up with that? How did you come up with that? What is that? I was probably high or depressed. Or <laughs> oh, so this is a long time ago. <laughs> I, look, I'm, I'm, to, to be honest, I just like putting uh, non-common words together. Okay. And, and I'm just being really honest. And then and looking at that and going, oh, is that a gateway to some form of insight? For me, evolutionary wholeness is, is me. It, again, voids become our values. And, and I remember Dr. John Demartini saying that. He's an, he's an awesome guy. Are you familiar with him? Yes, absolutely. He's, I know you did his course like in the early 2000s. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's gold. I, I really, really – and I wish I had a greater level of awareness when I did his course oh. of self. You know, I was a little bit detached and fragmented and fractured. Hence yeah. evolutionary wholeness. And what I mean by fractured and fragmented, and not that I was broken, a broken person, what I mean by fractured and fragmented was I was just confused. I was just confused about life. I didn't know what I wanted. I wasn't behaving in integrity. I wasn't congruent in my actions and my thoughts. I was feeling and thinking certain things, behaving in a different way to what I was thinking and feeling, yeah. not giving the world what I really wanted to because I didn't know what I wanted to give the world. So I was just a delinquent. But if I wasn't delinquent, I was just hyper-aggressive or just so confused and frustrated and agitated at life. I'd project and take it on other, out on other people. I'd take it on myself, out of myself, my negative self-speak. It was so intense. And so I just, I just felt fractured. I didn't, I didn't feel stable in myself. Like my, the ground that I would walk on, it was like almost I was w- walking on an earthquake 24-7. Wow. So your nervous system felt like yeah. literally imprinted from yeah. a place of trauma or just be cautionary about everything in life. Which it was because I hadn't dealt, I chose not to deal with my stuff from the past. And so this, this, this concept of evolutionary wholeness is evolving and moving through our pains, our traumas. We don't all experience pain and trauma. The vast majority of us do. I think most people do. Vast. It's so interesting, Steph, because sometimes trauma can be like, oh, sexual trauma, rape, or physical abuse. Trauma can be, you know, zero through seven is where all the imprinting happens. Yep. And then we spend the rest of our adult lives kind yep. of imprinting the love again. Yep. But it could, trauma can be not being held enough. Trauma can yep. be something that doesn't have to be so dramatic, but it yep. still can be traumatic. Yep. Uh, how do you see this play out in your work now? Because you coach mainly men, right? Uh, men and, well, yeah, I would say mainly men. But on a one-on-one level, men and women quite balanced. On, on more of a group level at this point, which yeah. is evolving and changing as well, more men, yes. The men that follow you, and I know that this is what I love about your work, you really speak about like really brutal authenticity and taking an inventory of truth. Like one thing about your work that I've noticed is that you take people right to the fire pretty quickly. 
um, when people are looking at the traumas and whatnot, we could do a podcast just on trauma. Yeah. But if but from your vantage point, like coaching all these people, being a sought after person in the space, when it comes to actually looking at trauma and like taking an inventory of trauma, yeah. where does someone even begin? Where does a man begin to look at his trauma? And and by the way, how does he even know that trauma is causing him how he doesn't want to be as an adult? Most of the time, we don't know. And, and so we, we take on these unconscious patterns and beliefs that we experience, like you said, from zero to seven, where we're imprinted unconsciously, yeah. almost hypnagogically, we're moving through the world and everything that we're taking on, we're literally taking on as truth and gospel for our lives. And so we, we bring this into our world, into our adult life, and we behave the same way we behave the defense mechanisms, the coping strategies, uh, Christine, my fiance, calls them compensatory strategies that we developed and cultivated as a young person. We bring them into our adult lives and our adult relationships, and they generally don't really have a place. We don't need to behave in that extreme, but we do because we're coming from an unconscious fear or set of fears. And so we don't know where to start, generally speaking. So where do we look? And this is a great question. And for many of us, it's too difficult to do it on our own. In fact, for the vast majority of us, yeah. it's way too difficult unless we're hitting rock bottom. And so the, the gauge here is the way we feel about ourselves and the way we feel about life. But even then, we can get stuck in this rut. And I don't mean to be painting a, a, a no hope picture here. I'm gonna, there's, there is hope. There is, yes. <laughs> there is intelligent well, hope. We've got to explore the darkness to get to the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's intelligent it, hope. And so we, we, we get stuck in our drama or our trauma or our pain or our fear, and it's the norm for us. And so we don't know any other way. We justify it in every way, shape, and form. And so what we need is, again, that inventory. And so something that we could be taught as young people is to take regular inventory of our lives. So here's something. Whether you think something is, quote, unquote, wrong with you or not, at the end of every day, and I'm not the first one to say this. The ancient Greeks have been saying this for thousands of years, and they're not the first to say it either. Take inventory of your life that day. How did you behave? Yeah. How did you think? Were you happy with your thoughts? Were you happy with your interactions? How did you relate to others? How did you give and receive love? Did you experience pain, fear, discomfort? What was the cause of the discomfort? What were the patterns around the discomfort? Have you noticed that discomfort before? Now, most people don't want to. We're too fucking lazy. Now, lazy is an interesting term. It's not that we're lazy. It's that it's not in our values to be self-reflective because we're not taught. It's not a collective value to, to diligently reflect and be uh, self-critical in our lives. Yeah. It's not something that we're really taught at school or we're not taught in our family often. We may have the, – the, the closest resemblance we'll get of that is if, if you happen to sit at the dinner table with your family every evening and the family may ask questions, how was your day? How was school? Which is very rare. The we, families come together for dinner. That, that's rare these days. Yeah. And those questions are very superficial. Right. How was school, Johnny? <laughs> what does that actually mean? You know? How was school? Right. I, I don't know. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Great. I just want more food. Yeah, this inventory, it's like <laughs> in my life too. And um, one thing that I've done on a regular basis is take an inventory of what am I the most afraid of? Oh, you know, that's like a nice question. Fear, right? Yeah. Like, and I loved recently you put something on social. You said um, specifically about fear stress is the high achiever's word for fear. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, huge explosion for me because yeah. I catch myself using I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. When really, if I just take that shirt off, underneath it is fear. Yeah. Why, heard, why'd I, you post that? I, because because I heard Tony Robbins. I'm an avid listener of audios. I read, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I heard Tony Robbins say something very similar. I'm like, fuck yeah. That's that's that. I I'm, so I'm going to share something now. I 
I don't like saying, this is interesting for me, I don't like saying I'm stressed. Like I have a problem with saying that I'm stressed. It doesn't feel, I don't like, I feel weak if I say I'm stressed. I'd rather say I'm scared of something. So I have the, I have the opposite, mm. <laughs> the opposite for me. But the, the point is I still don't have a healthy relationship with stress. Yeah. And underpinning that is a fear as well. And so I'll say, no, I'm not stressed. I don't feel stressed. But it, I, I do feel stressed. I just don't like to say it. For me, it's the antithesis of that. And what underpins that is a fear of saying that I'm stressed because it's actually saying I'm not good enough to cope with what I'm producing or what I'm acting in the world, what action I'm taking or what's being thrown at me. And that I don't like. That just made me take a breath because it's funny. I heard Gretchen Rubin talk about like anxiety. What is anxiety? It's some kind of excitement wearing a different shirt. Anxiety. Like it's excitement yeah. wearing a different shirt. Yeah. Stress is actually almost maybe a disempowering way of saying I'm afraid of something. Yeah. What's, yeah. a, what's a better way to describe like, hey, I'm in overwhelm and I need support. <laughs> yeah. Like what's the language we use there? Exactly that. Hey, I'm in overwhelm and I need support. Why not? Yeah. That, that, that right there, why disguise it with anything else? I, I feel overwhelmed, not all the time. Uh, regularly though, I would say, yeah. especially because I'm wanting to create something. I do have a fire in me. I have a fucking massive fire in me. And sometimes I don't even, I have very, I have clarity and I have discernment with where I'm going in my life. And sometimes I have no fucking idea where I'm going. <laughs> That's so honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true because I'm so in what I'm doing and I'm yeah. experiencing it what I'm doing at such depth and what I'm being and what I'm, what I'm creating and unraveling within myself that sometimes I get lost within that. It's, you know, it's that old adage, oh, you're a hypocrite and we hate hypocrites or we dislike hypocrites or we're against hypocrites. And the reality is hypocrisy is a natural part of life. Like without hypocrisy, there's no growth. There's no transition into a better version of you. Think about this. Let me yeah. explain it. You have a thought about something. I mean, let me just go backtrack for a moment. How do when we deal with trauma? How do we know? Because I want, I want to do. I love that you're connected to the doctor. Yeah, I want to do that question justice too. Yeah. And so what I said before about being self-reflective is just have a yearning to actually grow and just be better than you were yesterday. What does that mean? I don't know. What does it mean for you? And you have to answer that question. So when we start paying attention, conscious awareness, which is almost uh, uh, maxed out because consciousness and awareness are almost the same thing. Yeah. When we place awareness on who we are and what we're being, we get to know more about ourselves. And then we have to also be okay with being uncomfortable though because as we know more about ourselves, we may unpack something that's very uncomfortable. We may unpack something that is painful. Yeah. And so then we have to say, well, what tools do we have when we unpack that? And so there's a variety of tools. There's journaling, there's support groups, there's psychologists, there's counselors, there's mentors, there's guides, there's shamanic work, there's, there's spiritual work that you can do, there's yep. esoteric work you can do, you can read. There's so many different support mechanisms. Have something in place that resonates with you to help you when you start to unpack some of the unknown or the painful stuff, cultivating resilience in the body, in the mind, in, in, in a world where we, in a world where we're very complacent and everything's, for most of us, everything's pretty easy. Yeah. Like we go, we go to the grocery store. It's designed that way. At the moment, it's it is, designed yeah. that way specifically for men because yeah. I feel like there's so many things out there: excessive sports, excessive shopping, chasing money, chasing having the sickest car, yeah. pornography. There's so many ways that men are kind of Access kept docile. Plentiful. Men are kept yeah. docile by these things, and yeah. they block what really you're talking about, which is, hey, can I look at my truth right now? Yeah. Can I take an inventory of this truth? Mm. And and to be prepared for that, we have to be resilient. 
and we have to be tough mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so in today's day and age, we have to pursue that actively ourselves. We have to pursue that challenge actively ourselves. Now, let me come back to that question which you asked last. What was that question? Because it's just alerted me. Yeah, it, we, we pinned it back from the trauma. And yeah. then I was asking you about in modern day, like how do we actually have this togetherness as men? What does it mean to actually be a man who's understanding his traumas, understanding the things that have happened to him, for him, things like that? Okay, and so this 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 desire to be self-reflective it requires work it requires effort and so in contemporary times without the application of effort we're losing the essence of who we are as men because if you look at ourselves and our biology look at our us as a, as as we've grown up evolutionarily as we've grown we have been accustomed to being in volatile environments. Yeah. Our bodies are made to work. Our bodies are made to, you know, quote unquote, dig trenches. We're made, and the more the more physical work the body does, the more the healthier the body is. It's it's interesting. It's it's like what I'm, I'm wondering what next sports fad is going to be invented. I mean, hopefully it's not more MMA. Maybe that, maybe it's throwing rubber rubber spears at rubber mammoths or something. <laughs> well, it's, it's really cool to contrast this, man, because initially the, what we're really talking about is evolutionary wholeness. And then we talked about trauma yeah. and that's how we connected the dots. Yeah. I'm thinking about the way that we've devolved as a species. We used to, hundreds of years ago, burn people at the stake and, and there'd be like a crowd eating food, celebrating it. So yeah. we've come so far in this evolutionary piece to become whole and I'm curious how you even see that unfolding now because evolutionary wholeness came from you and, and your story, which I'd love to go into because yeah. I actually don't know the depth of that story. Yeah, let's, let's like I know, I know it was pretty rough at times and I know it kind of shaped the man and the power that you mm. have now. Mm. Um, but, but let's contrast it with the, the evolution of humanity, the evolution of how we used to treat people, what was deemed acceptable, that was heinous, that now is completely different. I mean, the path that you're on, the kind of conversations we're even having today, yeah. 50 years ago, that people would have called us pussies for yeah. having this kind of a conversation. Yeah. Well, some, what are you guys talking still, about your feelings for? Well, some still would as well. Some still would. Absolutely, some still would. And so hard, hardcore, um, uh, hardcore proponents of biological masculinity, what makes a man a man, or what makes a man being good at being a man, which is different from being a good man, would say that uh, it's not that we're, we're weak for speaking to our feelings, it's that there's other things to focus on. And part of that is cultivating a brotherhood, being in gangs, having a hierarchy, fighting, uh, pursuing sexual intercourse, and that's the, that's the nature of man. And so there's, there's, there's an extreme view there and there's, there's truth to that too. We've evolved that way as well. And... We're very different. Our consciousness or our understanding of reality is very different to what it was. I don't have proof of this based on archaeology, based on how we understand primitive tribes were. It's very different to what it was a million years ago, 500,000 years ago. And so we have to take that into account as yeah. well. And so we're taking that into account, do we know what the next evolution of man looks like? Speaking specific, when I say man, I don't mean humanity I'm, uh, and humanity, but man specifically or mas the, 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 uh, the embodiment of masculinity in males, we don't. 
this is something that we're unpacking and unraveling and there's many yeah. different theories out there and there's many different opinions on what a man should be and could be in today's world. I feel like we came from uh, the age of bread and circuses where there was people uh, committing you know, murders and watching it in the Coliseum. Yeah. And then we came from like women being owned as property and then women couldn't vote and then men weren't allowed to talk about their feelings to now you and I having a conversation about What's it like for a man to take a deep emotional inventory? I mean, it's such a trip just to even think about where I came from. When yeah. I was a kid, I was 18. And when I played football or when I'd go home, there was no talking about emotions. Yeah. Like that, that wasn't present ever. And I think part of why I love having this podcast and why I love interviewing friends and people like you is because it just creates this necessary capacity for men to talk about how they actually feel. Because that's where all the healing comes from. That's where all the evolutionary wholeness comes yeah. from. Yeah, well, it's, it, it comes from awareness and acknowledgement and movement through and not being attached to a trauma or a pain or a fear that we allow then our past to dictate our present. And here's the thing, like we ne- it needn't be one or the other. So we needn't, be, we needn't talk about our, our, our feelings and be considered effeminate or we needn't uh, not talk about our feelings and, and be considered hyper-masculine. Like we can yeah. speak to our feelings and we can speak to this feeling body and this emotional state that we move through as human beings because we have a limbic system, right? <laughs> And a nervous system and we feel the world and we can still be in what I would call vertical masculine posturing, which is we still carry confidence. We still have these these, uh, masculine attributes of courage and mastery and honor and, and, and how that ties into the masculine expression in the world. And we can bring some of the past into the present too. And we can create a new version of what it means to be a man. And there is emergence with... Not femininity per se, but there's just a different there's a different way to be than how we've been, which has been segregating yeah. and has been exclusive as opposed to inclusive. And we can still form a brotherhood and we can still form uh, contemporary gangs that don't exclude others in this, it, it, to the extent that it harms others as well. When I say gangs, I'm talking about a gang mentality that men have generally, or the male species, have, male gender have generally evolved through, yeah. which is really interesting. When we were you lo- built for tribe. We, we're, yeah, we're absolutely. Built for it. Yeah. When men don't have tribe, they suffer. Massively. Well, I've, I haven't been in a men's group for a while, which is why I'm so stoked to, to check out your men's work, really. Yeah. Uh, because without men's work, uh, the conversations that really matter, the ones that are deeply maybe painful or maybe vulnerable, they don't occur and I'm just curious, man, like, how did you come from this violent upbringing to be able to hold space and have conversations that impact men across the country? Like, how does that story even unfold? Because when I look at the violence that you talked about, mm. um, that's, that's a rare, it's a rare opportunity that somebody would take the trainings you took, go through the, the pain and the inventory that you had to go through to actually be where you are now. That's a very interesting story. I'd love to start at the beginning of that. So for me, I, I, I just I felt I was suffering a great deal and I was blind to that suffering and I ignored that suffering as well. But I could ignore it consciously, but it kept driving my life. And so I had these experiences of the past that I hadn't equilibrated, I hadn't neutralized, I hadn't understood or connected to. Men like to understand Men, men, and so one of my woundings was this unapproving father. One of my woundings was what, what he, no matter what I did, he didn't approve of me. 
that strong masculine figure that I looked up to as a young child that imprinted in my mind, in my brain, at a cellular level in my body, that I wanted to be, that I wanted him to appreciate who I was and what I did and how I thought, he just, he just couldn't. And it wasn't because he didn't love me or he didn't care for me. He just, he didn't know how to express that and he didn't know how to give that and show that. And so, I went through this, this oscill- these oscillating stages of being very passive and withdrawn because for me, it was safer to be that person. I would ensure that I wouldn't be hit, that I wouldn't be abused, that I wouldn't be told I was wrong. And that's an uncomfortable, undesirable feeling to experience. Yeah. And so if I hid and kept quiet, that was easy. It was easy. It was very hard to do that. And it was safer though. And I went through a stage in my early teens into my mid-teens that that didn't cut it for me anymore. And so I discovered I was I was quite overweight as a young child as well, and I was I wasn't really. Connected. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, you, you were yeah, overweight. Yeah, people yeah. look at you now. They're like, "Who's this tattooed six pack shredded mofo?" <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that you struggled with weight. Yeah, massively, wow. massively until the age of probably about fourteen. Um, and then I started doing something called the milk run. I don't know if you have it here in the US. So it was, milk run, milk run must be an Aussie thing. Well, I think you'd have it here. We would have got it. We would have oh, got okay. it from here. So it's these these trucks that have milk and orange juice and juice. Oh, okay, like the milkman. The milkman, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I would be a delivery. Uh, yeah, so I would be a delivery. Where I'd have the the guy driving was the owner of the business. And he would call out the order and would get the order and would go. There would be two of us and we'd run it out to the house. So I was running a lot and I, yeah. this was fun. It was jumping off the truck and sometimes I'd I'd stack it and I'd hurt myself and I'd learn how to roll and. I'd I just became more athletic and I started losing a little bit of weight and I thought, oh, this, this feels good. And as I started doing that and I then started training at the gym, I became stronger in my own physicality and all that repressed aggression and pain started coming out. And for me, enough was enough. I didn't want to take that shit anymore from anyone. And so I started outlashing into the world. I became hyper aggressive. I became... I became my father. I became violent. I became short-tempered. Oh, my fuse was very short. I became frustrated with life. Like I'd drop a, 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 a salt shaker or something and I'd just lose my shit. In a restaurant, like in public. What, yeah, whatever yeah. it was. Because that's, I, 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 have, I observed my father doing that. And, but I couldn't make the connection back then. I'm making them, I'm making yep. them now. I made, yep. it, made it many, many years later. Yeah. And so then I took that aggression into my adulthood as well. And I behaved that way with anyone and everyone. If someone disagreed with an opinion that I had, I'd, I'd scream at them. I'd be, I'd be aberrant verbally. I'd be emotionally abusive. And I just thought that was a norm. I couldn't, see, I, I couldn't step outside of myself and observe myself. And really, it, for me, it wasn't until and I would and, and I was very studious as well. At the same time, I was highly intellectual, always studying whether it be Eastern mysticism, Eastern philosophy, psychology, no, no matter what it was, whether it be university, whether it be so formal study or informal study, just yeah. in my own personal study, much like you, just consuming information, yes. and not just for the sake of consuming, just because I'm genuinely interested. But I had this emotional block; I couldn't shift it. And it wasn't until I was in a relationship a number of years ago where that became unraveled. I was unfaithful in that relationship. I wasn't in integrity in that relationship. I was dishonest to myself and to her. And I, I, for the first time in my life, I really observed how I'd hurt someone. And even beyond all the fights that I had and the, and the, the, you know, the, the punch-ups and I, yeah. I don't know what slang you'd use here, but it, all the all fist the, fights, yeah. the fist fights, yeah. the, the, the brawls, the brawls, etc. Yeah, yeah, all the stupid shit that yeah. that 
<laughs> that we do when we I think that's mutual among any country. I think every <laughs> men, men fight everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so and well there's something to be said for that as well. And and, and there's a repression there as well to be we'll speak we'll speak about that later. Yeah. But um and these are concepts that I'm still fleshing out in my own mind too. And so once I saw that that I really hurt this woman, I I I can't describe to you the feeling that I had and a lot of pain started coming up in me. I started feeling it. And for the first time in my life, I really allowed myself to feel it more than just feeling it and then stopping it and repressing it. Feeling it and then stopping and repressing it. And at that moment, I had two choices. I was at a fork in the road. Uh, do I explore this new potential way of being and understanding myself and actually look at some of this pain that's coming up and where is it really coming from? Because it felt it was more than just the present moment. It was so intense. Or should I just continue the path that I'm on and forget about that? Or do I explore this stuff? And so I made a commitment and it was the first commitment that I was, I was very non-committal. Yeah. Generally. The only thing I'd committed to was like my university degree and that was a struggle. One of my university degrees, that was a struggle. I was very non-committal. Just didn't want to commit to anything. I had a constriction around not feeling free. That's why I was with other women because it, for me it gave me – as is some insight into the, the male brain, it, it gave me a sense of freedom. I didn't have that when I was young to express myself. So I started making these connections to my trauma in, in, that I experienced as a young child. Yeah. And these aren't excuses they, for my behavior. I own my behavior, yeah. completely, complete responsibility. It's easy to look back and describe it too because I'm visualizing you stuff at the fork in the road where yeah. you've caused this woman pain. Oh, on the left, myself. on yeah. the left, you could have just continued on. On yeah. the right- you chose this path towards evolutionary wholeness. Yeah. What What was the inflection point? What was the spark inside you that made you choose the evolutionary wholeness path rather than going and hurting more people? The first, the, the, the first real confronting experience of shame. The shame and the guilt that I felt, the shame was so fucking intense, man. The shame, because I, I told her everything. I told her, I, I, and I probably told her, too much and that was very overbearing for her and she asked for it and she she and this this load came off my shoulders and at the same time this shame and i told her about the prostitution about the 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 uh, unfaithfulness everything everything and so and this deep shame i i, I started and all these memories started coming up as well when i was a child what i experienced as a child i told her I just, and t- in telling her and her being very stable as a mirror, which I mean, the relationship wasn't stable at that point, but her listening to that gave me, and I'm very grateful for this, it gave me an opportunity to really look at my stuff and look at me as a, as a, as a fuller person. And I, I invested in myself massively, counsellors, shamans, spiritual healers, guides, mentors. I, I gave away my businesses. I stopped. I went into debt. Because I, I I stopped working. I was I submerged in personal growth for 10, 12, How much 15 money do you think you spent on personal growth when you let your businesses go? Oh, and the debt brought hundred k. hundred k on self growth. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. I, I was spending uh, at least uh, a th- at one point for the better part of a year a thousand dollars on 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 practitioners. A week. Yeah. I mean, to me, this feels like life. Or death, because yeah, well, there's, there's no me. way that a human being would spend 100k unless something was truly 
making them feel like the, they want to The shame, to the shame. And I had to understand where the shame was coming from. And like I said, men need to, we need to understand. It, it, yeah. it helps out at the way our brains work. It helps us understand the source of our pain. It helps understand the source of our discomfort or our difficulty. And when we have some, some tangible understanding of where we are, it helps us feel safer. It helps us understand ourselves better. And then from there, we create spaciousness in ourselves that we can then explore because we're natural explorers as well. We're very good at exploring. Yeah. We're just not very good at exploring the inner chasms of self. We're good at exploring yeah. mountains and the depths of the ocean and our physical environment and the outside world. But when it comes to emotions and so forth, this is a little bit more challenging. Th this brings me to a question I've wanted to ask you for a long time, man. And it's like this term of men's work. <laughs> we, we hear about the term men's work, but what does that actually mean? Like for men to get together and do work, you have, you have a slew of programs, you know, conscious warrior, and mm. we're going to talk about relational alchemy. But yeah. when it comes to men actually doing work, we've had a lot of conversations on the show. How do you define that? Like, how do you see men doing work? What does that actually mean to you? Men's work. Yeah. I want, I want to, I'll take it back to the individual first. And so the, for me, the first tenet of my, of, uh, the reclaim your kingdom model or the conscious warrior model is ownership, uh, responsibility and uh, self-acknowledgement. And so we have to take ownership for where we are. We have to take ownership for where we are. In other words, how we behave, how we think, how we feel, what we do, what we want, our purpose or purposes in the world – Again, it's back to an inventory, an intellectual, emotional, behavioral, relational inventory, and a life inventory, essentially. I use that word, in, I actually don't use the word inventory often, but I like it. So you mentioned it earlier, and I'm, I'm stuck on it now, I like it. <laughs> a self-assessment, whatever right. it is, yeah? yeah. Critical reflection, sure. uh, self-awareness, uh, self, which leads to self-actualization and self-realization, greater awareness of self and fulfilling of our potential. Or living through an actual an actuality of our potential, which is self-actualization, where we're physically being and doing in the world what we know we're capable of, as instead of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, playing small. Mm, isn't that the top of Maslow's triangle? That's where we yeah. all want to be, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we can even go beyond self-actualization as well. And, and for me, self-realization is, is above that. And that's, a, that's understanding what, what our, our, our truth actually is. Our, in, in, in Advaita Vedanta, it's our tidium, or our four, it literally means the fourth state or the, the fourth, which isn't, isn't the fourth state of consciousness. Just a side note here. So mm -hmm. in, in Vedanta, the, well, the, the introductory level of Vedanta says there's, there's three states of consciousness, the, the waking, the dreaming, and the deep sleep. And then the fourth state is the tidium, but that's a fallacy. The, the tidium is what underpins or moves through or allows the three states of consciousness to be to be um, realized or actualized rather. And so for me, that tidium is that, that, that black one, that soul, that spirit, that consciousness, you are consciousness. And so I don't want to go too much on a tangent right now. No, but I mean, I, it relates I, to I, men's work. It's, it's definitely deeply, connected. Deeply. And so that we begin to realize that we're not our actions, we're not our thoughts, we're not the mind. And we can begin to become less attached to these things that we were and create a new version of ourselves. And so exploration is another tenet, another key principle of the, of the conscious warrior model for me. And so exploring our inner world is something that we don't do enough. Again, just come back to the simplicity of spending five minutes every day thinking about who you've been. Yeah. It's a tool. The mind is a tool. The, the 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 brain is a is a is the hardware that the tool that the mind as a tool or the software expresses itself, and we have an ability to be reflective on who we are and who we've been. And if it doesn't align with what what our values are, then we can move through that. This is crazy. This morning, um, I was sleeping on the couch because I was I was actually watching a Netflix documentary about actualization last night. And I woke up on the couch and I had this moment of just bliss when I woke up. And then immediately, my observer, I watched 
this software program come in and it said, what about your money? What about your day? What about your travel? What about going to Costa Rica? I mean, literally stuff like 10 yeah. seconds after I woke up and I caught myself and I, just, I laughed out loud. I was like, yeah. Haha, this, is some kind of, this, is, <laughs> this is some kind of crazy program. You talk about the mind being a tool. Yeah. This is some kind of crazy program that earlier in printing uses a tool that no longer serves me now. It's a conditioning. It's a, it's a habitual conditioning. conditioning. That's and all I it watched is. it come in and I was like, no, I have a good day ahead of me. And we get so attached. Yeah. We, and and, and just, just a caveat here. Every person will judge. The brain compartmentalizes its environment and its reality, and it does so to make life easier. We're always going to judge. We're always going to judge, is this safe or is this not safe, essentially? Yeah. And we, we largely do that through this, this massive threat funnel that we have, which are, which are our eyes. And so judgment is okay. And so we needn't judge these previous conditionings. They needn't be right or wrong. They just are. So what, what, does it suit you now? Does it serve you? How do your relationships play out? Are you in constant argument? Are you going from relationship to relationship? Are you satisfied in your J-O-B? Are you satisfied in your purpose or purposes? Do you even know what they are? Do you know what your values are? What's most important to you? Do you, do you wake up every morning being pulled by life? Or do you have to fucking push? Yeah. Is it, is it just drudgery every day? It's, it's not hard to figure out, are you living a life of truth? And then fucking pursue what truth is. And if you don't know, explore it. Oh, but it may take me a while. And and you're going to be closer to living your truth or living what is actually satisfactory to you by searching for it or exploring it as opposed to just doing what is normal. But the ego loves what's habit. The ego loves hab habituation because it's familiar. This aspect of the ego. Yep. Familiarity is safe. So better the devil that you know than moving into a space or place or occupying that mental, emotional, spiritual, physical space or relational space that's more empowering. I heard you say on a podcast, um, part of your work in the world is to make the unknown more known. Yeah. And I, and I love that because yeah. I'm like, oh, well, the biggest fear for most people is the, the fear of the unknown. Yeah. It's why sabotage even exists. Yeah. So looking at this construct of what is men's work and, you know, making the unknown more known, how do you merge those two? Where does men's work and making the unknown more known come together for men? Yeah. So I, I want, so I'll tell, I'll share a personal story. Uh, there, there were, there were so many times, particularly in 2017, where uh, 2017 and actually from from 14 to 17, 2015, 2017. A few years yeah, ago. <laughs> few years, there were times where I was yeah. so many times where I was on my on my lounge room floor, and this was before I had the, this deluxe thick plush carpet. It, the carpet was harsh. It was just shit it's old like a carpet. Shag. <laughs> it was just yuck. It's got like dust from 10 years. It on was it. just no good. And I was on that carpet floor crying and screaming and not understanding who I was and, 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 and so scared of the unknown and so scared of this state that I was occupying. And, I, and again, I sought some help and a great deal of that was me exploring, me just being on – the analogy is being on the edge of a cliff and looking down this complete darkness and you don't know if that cliff is one metre a thousand meters? Is there water? Are there jagged rocks? I don't know. And then just jumping. And that's how I felt almost every day. Almost every day that's how I felt. Now, until I got comfortable with that, that feeling, what I was moving through, whatever that was for me back then, and I identified that as well, I wasn't able to tangibly understand or connect to or be more comfortable with this unknown, this mystery. And so one of my mentors back then said, this mystery that you're plunging into is the feminine. 
and your masculine is so reluctant to go into this unknown. But if you allow yourself to go into the unknown, know that your masculine has you, oh, I felt safe in my own masculine self. And this is all symbology, right? Because I didn't feel safe with my father as a child. If you allow yourself to go into the feminine, this expre- more expressive ver- version of self that can actually healthily connect to the core of who you are, you'll become more whole and less fragmented. And so I made a decision and I don't know how we come to this decision. Maybe it's my dharma, my karma, whatever. I felt supported enough. I was on the cusp of feeling supported enough in some capacity and also just fuck it. If I die, I die, whatever. That was the feeling that I had. You felt like you were going to die on the floor? Absolutely. I felt Like, like I an ego death or like a physical death? Both. both. I, felt, I felt every day. There was a stage I was waking up every day contemplating suicide. Because it was so painful. I didn't want to live like that. And I didn't want to live like... Because I knew I, that, that spark had dwindled within me. And I knew that I, was, I wasn't giving the world what the world deserved of me. And I didn't want to put the people in my life that loved me through that as well. I'm not the first or the last to have suicidal thoughts. And suicidal thoughts really are a byproduct of not living in our truth and being completely confused and in a haze of, and being in so much pain that there's no other alternative. And again, gracefully and... and Gratefully, I there was a spark in me that was still just still just there, and I thought, okay, maybe there is an alternative, and so I plunged. And the more I plunged, the more I realized that oh, there's another way to be. I'm not dead. What was the plunge, man? What, what did that look like? In my mind, yeah, literally pl- in my mind, plunging, and so it was surrendering to these feelings. It wasn't being. It wasn't having this war with them. Like, do I feel them? Do I not feel them? Only for a little bit, you and just then said, ignore Fuck it, them. I'm going to feel them. And I, fe- yeah. And so the fastest way to move beyond anything that is so painful is through. And so I went through. And so I allowed myself, I gave myself permission to fully feel. Whatever that was, if I needed to be aggressive, then I was aggressive. In a way that was held by me, my, I had to just become more self-reliant essentially. I, and, and even though I knew I had support from people that loved me, I had to be my own first, my own source of inspiration. And so I had to feel those feelings and they needed an outlet. So whether it was, and I've been physical for a long time. So whether it was running more deliberately, whether it was doing some hard training, whether it was doing some fight training, whether it was lifting heavy weights, get hitting the steel, some cast iron, kettlebells, whatever it was. Uh, and again, pushing myself for until exhaustion. But then there was a cycle where I'd come back through and allow myself to feel again, purposely, deliberately. So everything I started doing was deliberate was with intention. Then there'll be a, a reflection piece where there was a, a form of journaling or release writing or whatever it was where my brain was understanding differently and seeing my world past and present from a different perspective. That gave me intelligent hope because I knew there was another way. It wasn't just that way. I wasn't locked in rigid into lo- one way I, of being. I, I love the phrase intelligent hope. I've heard Dispenza talk about that a few times. Mm. Has he been a mentor to you? Because I'm thinking about you going through this like dark tunnel, man. And you can probably see the light at the end, but like you're doing your breath work, your workouts, like you're All going, you're going through the shit. All of it and more. Who, who were the mentors that were helping you when you felt like, ah, this isn't working. Oh. I'm actually not going to feel my feelings. Like who were the men and women that were guiding you? So there, there were there were there were three or four personal mentors that you, you wouldn't know the names of. They were local to to where okay. I was yeah. in, in physical contact with. So there was uh, I was engaged in breath work. I was engaged in um, some spiritual healing. I was engaged in in uh, long distance mentorship, and I was engaged in some counselling as well. And that was all at the same time too. And so and there was me. There was just me. Yeah. 
I was with me. That was that was the power for me is becoming more self reliant. And as a man in today's world, I, I, I it hurts me to say this, but we're not self reliant enough, and there is so much weakness in us. And I was that so much. And even last year, when I went through a very traumatic time where I purposely and deliberately put myself through some uh, somatic healing, psychosomatic, sexual somatic, uh, not healing, but process. It was a two, three month journey. That was fucking intense. And I didn't want to be self-reliant in that process. I wanted to blame others. I wanted to reach out to others to take my pain away because I was so much in my pain, even though I'd done so much work around self-reliance. And it forced me once again to go deep and be more self-reliant. And there were times where I wasn't self-reliant. I was like a child. I regressed to a child state. Fix this for me. Do this for me. Take this pain away for me. It doesn't work like that. Dude, what is it like being this really leader of, of the new men's movement in the world, I feel like. You're oh, one of the- very humbled, brother, when you say that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're not like the leader, but you're among the leadership. I mean, oh. you're definitely, if there was a council for like the new masculine, it would be like you up there with Jordan Peterson and David Data. Like, wow, that's so, right. I'm I mean, very humble to be in the category of those men. But you have this um, this fire and this voice and you have this, this story of you doing the deepest exploration, I feel like that's possible for a man. Also, you live with Christine Hassler, who <sighs> is leading as a leading voice for so many women. She like, is. is there ever sparks between you? Because I feel like when you guys are creating so much, like, what's that actually like? I, to fuck it, I fucking love that. You woman, love man. it. I love her, man. Uh, yes, I, and I, yes, I is love. Is it ever that. challenging to live with a woman who's a leading voice, and so are you in different categories? It is when I'm in my unhealthy self. Yeah. What does that look like? Well, the unhealthy self is is egotistical. The unhealthy self is unworthy for me. For me, it's I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not being enough. I haven't studied enough. It's all the not enough. It's all the lack. It's all the the less than attitude. Again, when I come back into that, and this isn't blaming my father by any means, and I don't want to paint my father as a villain. My father gave me a great deal, and there were times where he deeply did love me, and he, he also gave that. you life. He, yeah, absolutely, which is he the gave ultimate me life. gift, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And his family, my family, the the intergenerational family that we have. My grandparents were beautiful. His, my paternal grandparents and my maternal grandparents were beautiful as well. But back to your original question, when I'm in my unhealthy self, there is, there is, there is an unhealthy, and I have to, again, I'm taking responsibility for this. Yeah. She can be an unhealthy self. Sure. That's for her to speak to, not for me. And I can make observations about that. Cool. And when we're both in our unhealthy self, if that ever happens, which is rare, that's where it's really one or the other and we hold really well for each other. But if it's both of us, again, really, I'm actually trying to even think of, oh yeah, of course, there are times when we may be having an argument and I'll react and she'll react. And then in that moment, it's a short moment, we're both in our unhealthy selves and it can get pretty intense, but it's very short. Yeah. And, and I need to come back to what would love do now. And not only what would love do now, because love can be a very ambiguous term. Oh, but, that's such a good question. It's the ultimate equalizer, isn't yeah. it? Oh, what, for what sure. What would love do now? Peter yeah. Sage, uh, yeah. huge TEDx speaker. He's been on the show. He, he said that, like, what would love do now? <laughs> so you're, you're mirroring that sentiment. But man, when you're triggered... And I know you've done so much work, but I, oh, I love, I'm, I'm hyper, man. I love how open you're being about this. Like, no matter how much I'm work angry, you've man. done, <laughs> no matter how much work you've done, like, there's still going to be those moments yeah. where what would love do now is the last thing on the human brain. The, la- the, the other day, I <laughs> I had a water bottle in my hand, and I I, I fuck, I'm getting, I'm going back to that state now. I just I, I, I destroyed the water bottle. And I wanted to punch the door because be, and and because I was I had this intense energy and anger, and I was talking to Christine because and she wasn't really. I was triggered. It was my stuff. She was just being her and she actually really wasn't being that aberrant in any capacity and she wasn't being rude in any capacity. I just didn't feel listened to. So that little boy came out 
And because I was not in a healthy state of mind because I'd been – I hadn't done my work, man. I hadn't mm. been reflective. I hadn't, I hadn't done the physiological work. I hadn't moved the energy and I was ruminating in the mind. Yeah. I got angry. And for a split moment, it was a very split moment, I went back to being out of control. Now, I didn't act on it besides squeezing the water bottle. I was, let, I was releasing energy, right? But – I did say some things to Christine, to the woman that I care for most in this world that weren't pleasant. And literally immediately within seconds, I dropped back into a humble state of being, dropped back into the present, not regressed, and I apologized profusely. And my one of my patterns is I, I remained in shame for probably the next 24 hours. And so what I did was I did some personal work around that, some some writing around that, some reflection work around that, some breath, sound and movement around that. I went and hit the bags as well to let out some some healthy energy and, yeah. and, and, and gave it some context too. And then came back to Christine and again, apologize, even though she accepted the apology immediately. Yep. That for me wasn't good enough. And again, that's the, just the work, man. It's not, I'm not this, yes, I'm an embodied human being and I wasn't a few years ago. I'm far more embodied than I am now. And I also have the times where I do regress. And just to say something right now, like in this moment, there's just some real time stuff. The ego saying, oh, should you be saying that? Well, should, should, we, should we be saying that? Is, you know, what? Well, it's yeah, the Yeah, because people can truth, relate though. to you. But it's the truth. Right. Yeah, it very, it's very true. And... I have to remember, I grew up in a very hyper-aggressive environment, like violence, abuse, screaming. That was the norm, man. I didn't know any different. Being very passionate, I grew up in an ethnic family, half Greek, half Italian. We would scream our opinions and then have dinner and share a meal and totally. everything would be normal. I know what that's like, yeah. You, you know, like it's, yes. so I come from that and I can very easily go to that. And so sometimes it's nice to be passionate and sometimes maybe it, w- it will call for me to be to be aggressive and let my nervous system be sharp because I need to protect myself or protect my, my, my fiance or protect a friend or whatever it may be. Or pre- but most of the time I'm not at that threat. And, and we, and the only way to really be certain around where we want to go in life is to again, take that inventory of self and be aware of how we're behaving in the moment. A few years ago, it would take me maybe, days or weeks to come back and go, oh, I behaved that way then. Now I'm far better. It can be yeah. seconds or minutes or hours, sometimes days, depends. But it's shorter and shorter and I can come back from it. So my my brain physiology, my neuronal mapping is changing because I'm, I'm making the changes earlier. So you speak to Joe Dispenza. I've never heard him say intelligent hope before, but I love Joe Dispenza. He's, he's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know – there's so many things I want to ask you, but one of them is around this neural mapping and, and yeah. a term, actually, there was a, a definition that I want to ask you about this. Mm. On your site, man, you talk about neuro empowerment. Mm. I'm thinking about you having the learning experience with Christine, doing your breath work, doing your journaling. Like you're literally changing the, the space yeah, between so the dendrites so yeah, and the axons yeah. in your brain. Yeah. I mean, you're literally remapping the neurons in there. Yeah. So when we look at this phrase of neuro empowerment, what exactly is that? I mean, I know you like to combine cool words. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not, but, that's not my that's not my term um, in any capacity. But yeah. essentially, what we're doing is we're we're changing our our brain physiology. We're changing the the again the new, the neuronal network in the map, the neuronal mapping, yep. and how our brain sees the world or sees certain events or experiences. We're changing our perspective at a behavioral level, emotional level, and physiological level, neuronal level, through being attentive to the experiences we're having and reframing. Them. That's a part of neuro neuro. The magic is in the reframe. 
Yeah, massively. Yeah. yeah, massively. And seeing our world differently in a way that is empowering as opposed to disempowering. Can you give us an example? Can you give us an example of a client, maybe yourself, just Definitely. anyone? Uh, uh, of this reframe, the magical reframe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, there's sure. tons of them, well, and we've been actually giving them the whole the whole way through this, that's this true. talk. There's been neuro empowerment yeah. baked into this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for, so I can I can give one. Um, I'll, you, well, I'll use a client. Yeah. So yesterday, he sends me a he sends me a boxer, and he says, "I, I just closed this deal." So, so part of his part of his wounding is needing to be seen. And needing to be validated for his actions and being worthy enough in the world, and that comes from his childhood, adopted, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and some other some uh, some other issues. And so he sends me this box and said, "Man, I landed this client, and he's very successful outwardly in the world in terms of his money generations, his title, his status, etc. I landed this amazing client. It's going to give my new company." great deal of revenue I let my boss know and my bo- essentially his boss came back to him really disappointed oh this client is no good and this client's going to give us problems and we have to do this and so immediately my client went into I wanted to pummel this guy I wanted to I wanted to hit my boss I wanted to get aggressive with my boss I want I wanted to I wanted to be so angry I wanted to quit my job so I sent my voxer back and he calmed himself down. So he's really good at see, beginning to see things differently. And, and I sent him a, a Voxer back and I said, brother, talk to me a little bit about what your boss actually said. Did he actually say you're not good enough? Did he say that you did wrong? Did he, say, did he actually not recognize the fact that you got the client? Or is he speaking to something else? Can you look at that situation from a completely different perspective? And the quicker we can do that, the quicker we fall into not being reactive and being responsive, not coming from past reactive experiences and not coming from habitual patterning, which is instant. And we come from a place of, oh, he's not, he's not actually attacking me. Nowhere in that in that email back to me did he say that I'm not good enough. Why am I feeling that? Oh, that's something that I'm being the environment is triggering an old pattern that I'm now reacting to that I think I need to survive. So I'm getting aggressive to protect myself. That's actually not the case. Take a breath. <sighs> yes. And there's a reframe. As yeah. an example, yeah. right? There's a there's a neuro empowerment and it's a behavioral and relational empowerment technique as well. So he takes that attitude, that newly formed attitude of can I take, can I apply the three second rule? Let me take three seconds to take a one breath, which is actually longer than three seconds. But let me take let me take three breaths even. And really ask is what is happening right now really true? Byron Katie has a, a similar method to this. Is yeah. what's happening now really true? And can I respond to this in a different way? And what would that response look like? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I had a moment where I was in a medicine journey and the facilitator came out to me and she put her hand on my chest yeah. and she said, the next time that you're feeling like you can't breathe or like you're stressed out or you can't reframe something, yeah. ask yourself, is this really necessary? Yeah. And it's yeah. in the same vein of Byron Katie's of work where she asked one of her four questions yeah. that's, is this really true? Is this really necessary? And it seems almost like a heuristic that's too simple for me to believe. Mm. But if I can remind myself in a moment where I feel like I can't breathe to just ask a question, to just ask one question, it's this trigger action response where I feel like I'm actually in control and I'm not a victim to my own physiology. Yes. This victimhood to physiology, it's rampant. Or it's, a victim to unconscious patterning. Unconscious patterning. Yeah. I'd, lo- I'd love for us to jam on this a little bit. Yeah. The physiology that we deal with, specifically as men. Oh, you're going to love this, bro. I'm, gonna, I'm about to go deep now. So Hold on. Gonna- let me get comfortable. Okay. <laughs> So, 
I want to share a personal story again and and real life example. So, and I wish I could do it. If I didn't have this headset on right now, I'd actually show you. It would be fucking epic. But you'll get the picture and your, and your listeners will get the picture, yes. picture as well. And, and I'll probably You guys laugh, get comfortable laugh. too. You get comfortable. Okay. So last year when I went through this psychosomatic work, which was a, a game changer for me, by the way, and a game changer for the relationship for Christine and I. It was amazing. Uh, and during it was, man, I don't even want to go there. So painful, so painful. And caveat for a moment, side note, I don't, and we'll probably speak to this, about do we need pain to transform in life? The answer is no, we don't, and yes, we do. We can come back to that later if you want, okay? Because I, I, I say that because maybe maybe the listener's thinking, well, this guy's yeah. been through all this. He states that he's been through all this pain. Is that the only way he's changed or transformed? Yes, for me, that's been my journey. I've had to hit rock bottom and beyond. Um, and for most of us, and there's patterns in the world around this, we have to really elicit some deep, sincere transformation. But let me go back to this physiological state change. Tony Robbins speaks to this, right? All of Tony's work is predicated on this. You want to change your behavior, change your physical, physiological change state. Change your state. Simple every every that. 18 minutes, people are getting up while he hits the drumsticks. That's Change it. your state. Man, I was dancing away at Tony Robbins. Every moment I could. Music came on. Woo! Did you do the worm? I can't do the worm. Okay, you okay. can, can't you? I can do the worm. I hate man. you and I love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to practice. I shouldn't say I can't do it. I've never practiced All right, the next party. You're going to teach me. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, would, I, would, I would have to come up with... So at that time, the, the, the two people, husband and wife that were facilitating this, this journey for me were saying, you, you, need to, you need to get out of your mind. You're in your, I was so much in my mind, man. I was literally, I, I, was becoming, I felt I was becoming possessed. So I needed to get out of my mind. And it, rather than them as good, good teachers, coaches, mentors, guides, whatever, and rather than them giving me the information, they would really prompt me to ask me, what can you do? What can you do? And I said, okay, I need to go back to what I know. I need to go back to all the tools that I've cultivated, the stuff that I've come up with myself. I just wasn't going back there in these moments. All the, all the amazing information that's out there, I need to get into breath, sound, and movement. I need, to, I need to breathe. I need to engage in breath work. I need to move my body. And I need to sound out what's fucking going on at a primal level and do the work myself and not expect Christine or someone else to take it away from me. At that time, man, I just moved here. I was feeling lonely, really alone. The work was very isolating as well. I was missing home. I was homesick. I, I didn't have my friends, my brothers, my tribe. I felt I, I lost my, <laughs> I sent some suitcases over. I didn't insure them. I forgot to insure them. And they, and I lost my suitcase. I lost all these clothes. I just, I felt like I was losing and losing. I was losing my ego self, my identity with the world. What was the norm? I was just losing. I, I was perceiving to lose and lose and lose. I felt I was being coming distant from Christine, even though we just got together and it was Recently got together, it was amazing, wow. and it was a, it was a, it was a clusterfuck. And so I needed to change my state, and so I had to force myself when I was in this, this mindset of the world is coming down on me. What did I do? I got into breath, sound, and movement. I moved back into old tantric practices that I that I had been so familiar with, and I started to shift myself. The best one was if Christine and I were experiencing tension. I would immediately take responsibility as a man. I'd take leadership on my actions. I would hit the ground. I would lay on my back, feet over my head, plow position, and I'd communicate to her from there. Wow. And we'd laugh. That's an interesting dyad. We, we, we would immediately- <laughs> You on your back and plow? Yep. We, and my bum in the air, and we would laugh. <laughs> and that immediately changed the state. It yeah. changed my state. And I was able to create- 
psychological, psycho-emotional spaciousness within me, which then allowed Christine and I, in this instance, to speak from a different place and perspective, a more real and authentic place. And man, I went through other exercises as well about the voices in my head and asking, is this voice really true? Is yeah. what the voice is telling me, is it, is it me and is it true? Yeah. Beyond the, the Byron Katie work of is it true, like I got into the voices. I started naming these voices that were coming to me, telling me these things about my life. Well, what's one of the names? Did you have a name for your inner critic? <laughs> my inner critic's name is JT. So when, J, when JT wants to be cocky and yeah. in control yeah. and is afraid of actually being seen, yeah. then JT's running the show for a moment. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I had some names. Um, one wasn't very nice. I'm not going to repeat it on here. Okay. And, and it just, just because- The C word? Yeah, the C, well, the C word because it's very common in Australia okay, okay. and we use it as a term of endearment and yeah, we use yeah. it as, as, a, as a derogatory term. Everybody knows what the C word yeah, is. And a, side note, and a yeah. side note, that, that word actually is embedded. The etymological root meaning of that word is embedded in endearment towards women, FYI, hey, just in case you don't know. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> but how we use it. So I had different names for those voices in my head as well. And some were yeah. just very random names. You, you talk about breath, sound, and movement. Like I get yeah. the breath. Um, I'd love to share after this next question about my yeah. experience in working with you yeah. because I think breath work is not only a trend, which I'm glad it's a trend, yeah. but it's a movement based on what the world needs, man. Yeah. Like Br- breath work for me saved me, man. Literally. Ways. Yeah, literally. I- I'd love for you yeah. to answer though the sound though, because I get the movement. Yeah, sure. Like I can see you on the ground and yeah. plow talking to Christine yeah. through your legs. <laughs> but um but the sound piece, like what do you mean by that? Sound. So for example, I would I would do and, and depending I have various sitting practices where I where I can I'm, I'm fairly flexible and mobile. My hips aren't that flexible and mobile. We've yeah. spoken about this. Your hips are amazingly flexible. My hamstrings, my inner thighs are flexible, my back and my thoracic's not too bad and lower yeah. back's pretty flexible, but my hips hips and glutes not super flexible so I can only get myself in certain positions but I would get myself in a particular sitting position and then I'd, I'd cycle a, a, a type of breath a cycle of breath whichever, whichever whatever um, system of breath I'm using yep. and I would move the body so I'd move the vertebrae as I'm breathing and we're obviously doing it now as well as I'm breathing and I'd then sound as I'm breathing <sighs> Different sound, primal sound, whatever. Okay. Sometimes it would be very loud screaming. Sometimes it wouldn't be. Just making whatever noise comes up naturally. Whatever comes up naturally yeah. and, ex- and experiencing coming back into the body. And so that's a very good technique for people that have experienced trauma because what the body wants to do is kick you out of the body because it's safe to be out of the body because the body holds the trauma at a cellular level. The body keeps the score. Dr. Peter Levine is amazing. He's one of the, are you familiar with Dr. Peter Levine? No, but Bessel van der Kolk, that book blew my mind. The body keeps the score. So I'd love to check out this doctor. Dr. Peter Levine is, is, he's an authority on trauma work in the world. And we're linking every single thing that you mentioned to us in the show notes. So don't worry, we're taking notes as we go along. You're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, and so breath, sound and movement, it was very powerful for me that that three prong combination in releasing pain and stuckness, whether it be psycho emotional stuckness, whether it be uh, like a physiological stuckness. I was feeling tension in my nervous system, and I could completely relax and see a, a pain or a fear or an issue that I was experiencing from a different perspective. So I wasn't locked into a perspective that was keeping me rigid or keeping me in pain. And so shifting that pain, knowing that I was empowered to do it. 
And then I wouldn't, because part of my conditioning as a child was this victim mentality. I very, very easily got into victim mode because for me, if I went into victim mode, it minimized my my environment being volatile against me because my environment felt sorry for me. So I'm making some really deep connections mm. here and I didn't make these connections until I was later in my adulthood. Yeah. But a lot of that was driving my behavior, how I gave and received love, how I showed up in relationship, how I wanted something. I became manipulative without even knowing it. And so I have a propensity or had more of a propensity to fall into this victim mentality. And so knowing that and engaging in breath, sound and movement or changing my physiological state, even going for a run, going for a walk, hitting a bag, whatever it may be, going doing some sparring, yeah, changed my perspective on how I saw myself, saw others and how I saw others seeing me. That's a big thing for men. Because we usually, we usually take action based on we're usually driven by our status, material possession, and how others see us. Definitely like in the current culture, like how yeah. much money's in the bank account. Yeah. Like that's men's deemed yeah. worth sometimes. Yeah. And, and, so, and so instead of because we don't live in a society where we just fight for hierarchy, we fight for do- social dominance, it's expressed through- as Tim Ferriss said, money is the new spear. A long time ago, Absolutely. when we could kill a boar and bring it back to the tribe, like that was how we would actually be able to provide. But yeah, now, now you go and you money buy is the spear. Meat. Yeah, <laughs> money is the new spear. Our, our ability yeah. to hunt is actually our yeah, ability money, to earn money. Yeah, isn't it? money. The amount of money you have is your new is your new physiology. Is your new strength, which doesn't involve for most people being physical. No, it doesn't. It takes us away from that primal rooting. Yeah, yeah, massively. One thing that I'm fascinated by that you do is like you have these men's groups. You've taken me through this specific breath work, which I'd love to share this right now. Uh, please. In my home, hmm. I had done breath work before, but you took me through like about 45 minutes of Wim Hof. And this is no, no, no. It wasn't Wim Hof. Wasn't what no, was it? What was no it? Way. It was a bi- it was a biodynamic um, holotropic breath combination breath work plus some other things that we were doing so, there. That was breath better. sound movement. It was more than forty five minutes, bro. It felt like forty five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I was in I was in a, a <laughs> tunnel like of transformation. Yeah. But anyways, um, what I got from that was that I've done a tremendous amount of work uh, mm. in in clearing my father wound. Mm. But what came out of that was I wasn't sick. I was feeling fine. But I literally, after our breathwork session, I found myself like in this crouch position, coughing. Mm. We actually had to put paper towels on the carpet and I was coughing and I was feeling like grief, grief and and sickness coming out of my mouth, literally onto this paper towel. And I thought, okay, if I'm doing my work and that comes out through breathing, how powerful actually is breathwork? And then I went to Thailand and did a week Um, of Soma breathwork, which now we're going to be at this event in like a month, which is going to be even more powerful. Yeah. But what I took away from that, man, is with the right intention and the right space, there's something about you where you have this ability to hold space. And I just got the ability, uh, I just got your, your ability of how you hold space in a breathwork session. What do you think it is about you with the tool of breathwork? What space do you actually hold when you do breathwork with somebody? What does that space feel like? What does that space look like? I hold the intention that I'm of deep service right now and I'm a, I'm a vessel. I'm an instrument of God. I'm an instrument of the divine. I'm an instrument of the, the, the higher self that resides within all of us that, that connects us, that unifies us. And I know there's a lot of esoteric speak there, 
but for me, it's a, it's a it's a it's a cognitive intention. It's a deliberate intention that I set to be of service here, to to move as far away outside of the ego as I can, to not come in and say oh, I'm doing this for recognition or I'm doing this to to feel better about myself. Of course, I'm going to feel good about myself. You're a fucking idiot if you think you're not, and you're ignorant yeah. if you think you're not. Yeah. And, and you'd want to feel good about yourself. That's also what drives me. But it drives me not to the point where that's why I do it. It's a byproduct. It's a natural byproduct. I do it because or I, I, I do what I can with the tools that I have and I'm constantly learning, man, constantly learning. I was having a conversation yesterday with a, with a close friend of mine. I will never think that I know it all. The more I know, the less I know. And it's not even just about knowing. It's about embodied wisdom as well and listening more to the direct experience that I have but also reading books and, and listening, having amazing conversations with amazing minds and learning from other people's experiences but yeah. also learning from my own. But I go into that, that space of service and it really becomes about the needs of the other person and I can only do what I can do and they will only pick up and they will only take what they're ready to take and not and, and reminding myself of that consistently allows me to really be present to what other people need it's such a radical fucking skill to be able to put someone in a space where you can kind of suss out the answers that are inside of them mm. because you're not like I don't see you as verbiage of a guru like you're not some guru dude but you do have a unique ability to 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 bring out these answers that are inside your clients. And I mean, I felt it with you as a friend. Like I, I had no idea. I was like, oh, we're going to do some breath work. <laughs> next thing I know, I'm like hacking out grief from my lungs. And then I burned a note that I wrote to my father the next day. Um, you but, made some leaps. You, you, oh, that was incredible. You had you know? and I just, I just talked to my dad a couple, like for, I we had a 20 minute conversation and it was like one of the best conversations wow. we ever had. And I felt totally clear and open eye body. And he's like, yeah, let's go flying sometime. It was just so free. Prior to that though, what would the conversation well, be Well, prior like? to that, a year ago, yeah. even though I'd done my plant, my med, plant medicine work at Rhythmia and a lot came up for me there. Yeah. Um, prior to that, there was still a charge. Yeah. There was still an energetic charge that yeah. was like deep kind of, yeah. I guess in my solar plexus, unpleasant really feeling as unpleasant well. feeling. Yeah. And so I was able to, to look back and be like, okay, well, what is this really about? It's about me being my own father. Like mm -hmm. you became your own inspiration. Like yeah. all the men and women listening, like yourself. we have so much power and we just forget who the hell we are. Yeah. And so certain people in certain spaces, certain tools like breathwork yeah. can remind us who the hell we are. Well, we deify our fathers and our mothers. We deify our primary caregivers. We come into the world, we're very vulnerable. We're, we're, we're weak as, in Australia we'd say we're weak as piss. And we are. We're very vulnerable and weak for years. Think about that. We, yeah. we deify our we, primary We suck gaggers. chest water out of our mother for a long time. Chest water, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Do, I mean, this do. is real. All we of us do, do it. We, absolutely. I joke, I joke every now and then. I say, Christine, if, if we ever have children, you're going to be breastfeeding for at least six years. <laughs> just, I just tease it. At least you have to. It, our, our child will just grow up so strong. Totally. I just tease <laughs> but, you know, but we do. So we're so reliant on our parents for so long, so we deify them. And, and if we're in an unhealthy attachment style, as an example, as a psychological uh, relational form of, of relating, yeah. um, we, in an unhealthy uh, attachment style there, we, we, we carry that onto, into our relationships as adults. And so what we do is we deify our partners and we deify those that we look up to. We deify those that we admire. And so this becomes a, a habit. And so something very interesting that, uh, that Harville, Dr. Harville Hendricks says, 
Amazing book, Keeping the Love You Find. Uh, he's got a few books, but he, he's a massive proponent of relationships, uh, intimate romantic relationships, particularly being a catalyst for our evolution in this world as a humanity. And I'm a big proponent of that as well. I'm a big proponent of sacred union and conscious relationships being a catalyst for our growth and our acceleration as a humanity into high levels of consciousness and self-awareness. I can go into the definition of that. and I would love but, to yeah, go into that. Yeah, yes. definitely. But, but first, what, and what, what he says is that what we experience as children, again, through that zero to seven, right, is we take that into our adult relationships and we search for what we experienced and did not experience at an unconscious and conscious level. And therefore we deify, we really, we, we place these intimate relationships on a pedestal that are better than us. And it's not about better than or less than. It's about equity and it's about self-empowerment. The moment we deify someone, we give our power away, our ability to transform or change, we become apathetic. And there we become fucking weak and meek and passive. And that is fucking unattractive as a man, particularly because we're speaking to men a lot. Women don't want that. So I'm going to speak to a normative heterosexual relationship. Well, the feminine does not want the masculine to be weak, meek and passive. It's not the role of the healthy masculine to be that. And so when a man embodies that, he's in his unhealthy masculine and it's fucking unattractive. And I've experienced, I've been that person so, so often. And so until I began to take onus and responsibility for my shit and all, or, and celebrate the joy that was me, all of it, evolutionary wholeness, yeah. right? All of it. Then I became more magnetic to people organically, naturally, but more importantly, I became more magnetic to me. I started honoring who I was and I had greater levels of self-belief. And I began to shift from the egoic nature of self, thinking that there's a hierarchy and I'm better than, into a more equitable understanding of who I was in relation to the world around me. Wholeness. And the worth I have. I, I, when you said evolutionary wholeness, like my heart skipped a beat because I, I love the whole framing of our conversation, man. To be whole, at least in our society, I think pair bonding exists from higher intelligence for a reason. Mm-hmm. I think it takes, whether you're gay or straight, I think it takes a true relationship to be a fuse of higher consciousness. And you and I have talked about this. Mirror, Monogamy being like a rare thing yeah. with all the polyamory conversations and the divorce rates climbing. Monogamy is like this conduit for the most powerful version of self-empowerment and of self-growth, I think now more than ever. I, I, I read a non-monogamist say uh, and state very openly that non-monogamy should be the norm in our society based on our evolutionary history and a few other factors as well. And that monogamy should be reserved for those that are more self-aware, more conscious and uh, carry greater intelligence. <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah, mm, interesting, interesting, very interesting perspective. Very interesting perspective. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's so true because- what is the real reason? Like, what do you believe the root cause is with the level of consciousness that mm. men and women have right now as to why We're monogamy so dis- is so rare? Well, True mon- long-term monogamy. Oh, uh, so healthy monogamy. Healthy monogamy. Because as I believe as a species, we're not self-aware enough. We're not connected to ourselves. We're not self-empowered. We, 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 dis- we, we are victims of our, of our past. We are victims of our pain and our trauma. Now, you know, I, I, put a, I put a post on this up yesterday around that in, in terms of taking responsibility for yourself. And someone wrote, what about those that have mental disorders or have 
physiological issues. Of course, it's not. I'm talking about a victimhood mentality. I'm not talking about yeah. victims. I'm not talking about people that you're not have making suffered. a blanket statement. No, not yeah. at all. That people that have actually suffered by perpetrators and that have been physically. I've been physically abused. I've been emotionally abused. I've been a victim. How long do I want to hold on that story for and allow that victim mentality to uh, dictate the way I behave and show up and relate to the world and think about the world and think about myself? I'm in, I've got to be empowered to make some choices because if I'm not, then I'm just going to be apathetic and I'm going to be stagnant. I'm not going to grow. And growth is one of our – it's the prerogative of being conscious. It's the prerogative of being human. It's, it's what we're here to do is to, to be and do is to grow yeah. massively. And so for me – back into conscious relationships and set what I call sacred union. And I'm not the only one to call this, of course. And and it can be achieved through non-monogamy and monogamy. I believe that. I'm more of a proponent of monogamy for a variety of reasons. For me, not for all of humanity, for me. Yeah. I've I've been down certain tracks that haven't aligned with me. I know what aligns with me. I know where I'm at. I know what lessons and teachings I need to move and want to move through in order to grow for me why personally. Does, why does monogamy resonate with you personally? I knew you were going to ask that because I do believe for me, it is a greater, great, is it a great, it is a, it is a greater pathway and access point to higher levels of consciousness yeah. and experiencing that with my, my, my family, my person, who, which is Christine. I have complete clarity on that. We both do. There's just something deeply profound in that for me. Yeah. And in fact, and my history, my, 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 I have freedom through that commitment. Whereas years ago, commitment was not free, freeing at all. It was constricting. I felt like I was being annihilated. Now I have hashtag commitment through freedom. <laughs> Is that your hashtag? It's not mine, but fuck it. Let's I use freaking it. love that. <laughs> well, because I, we've talked about, I remember I was talking with Stephanie Godrow from, she used to be Stupid Easy Paleo, now mm. it's just her brand. And we were talking about sex at dawn. Mm. And I was thinking, okay. Well, so what if so many tribes have shown that monogamy is only something that's American made just based on land title and transfer? How do you see that actually being real, not just for you, Mm. but for the people that want to use monogamy as a conduit for conscious growth? How do we still address the novelty aspect? Because it seems like- The novelty of monogamy or the novelty of non-monogamy? The novelty of people being in conscious relationship and monogamy, but still still keeping the novelty factor high in that setting. How do we do that? Oh, you, you, you mean you mean the the excitement of being in a monogamous relationship, right? Because it seems like well, the immediate answer is perspective. But let me let me get perspective. So yeah. you you choose to have a perspective. You choose to wake up every like a non monogamous will say, oh, you need variety. You need sexual variety and so forth. Well, th- and there's this argument about bonobos and chimpanzees. Yeah, and 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 it fucking shits me. I'm tired of it. Everybody needs to shut the fuck up because we're both chimpanzee. If you take that evolutionary theory, and we're both a bit bonobo. When you look at our when you look at our society. We have, we have evolved from, we have if, in terms of social behaviour, we have part social behaviour chimpanzee, we have part social behaviour bonobo. So is monogamy or non-monogamy right or wrong? There, I don't really think there's a right or wrong. It really comes down to a personal preference. Society has really uh, made, made, it's distorted what monogamy is and we haven't been healthy enough to actually be 
monogamous as a, as a, as a, as a collective consciousness. Dude, I love the way you explain that. And, and, it, just, and, it, and it just shits me when monog- monogamous say, well, it has to be this way and this is the way. And non-monogamous say, oh, monogamy's dying and this is, and bonobos. And it's, whoa, whoa, <laughs> calm the fuck down. Don't take a piece, piece of information and, and turn into an encyclopedia. Look deeper. Don't you have a sense that, well, I have a sense that so many people based on their perspective and how they see the world are constantly looking for evidence to validate yeah, their perspective, right? Yeah, of course, we do that. Right? The ego's always going to do that because it's safe. The ego always does yeah, that. Yeah, because it, we want strength in numbers, whether it be in information or people or, or masses or whatever. Yeah. I can specifically remember um, talking with Aubrey Marcus on the show and he was saying like, the reason that I do put myself in situations where you know my fiance is with someone else is because I know that that's how I'm going to grow. And I'm thinking, I wonder if that's the full story. Like I actually wonder why people He'll put grow. themselves through through pain. Like yeah. they're consciously putting themselves through pain. Why not just let nature unfold it naturally? Why put yourself in a situation where yeah. you're forcing yourself to grow? It's it just feels like it's almost like contrived in a way, this polyamory oh, lifestyle. It's an interesting, interesting conversation. So this is a really interesting topic. I, I'm a proponent of um uh, not forced growth, forced challenge. Cool. Proponent of, and, and, uh, challenge and growth are different though, are. Right? well yeah well I think growth can be derived from challenge if we pay enough attention okay, so you yeah, have two people yeah. that live very similar lives the person that reflects and pays attention and moves with intention to his or her life will grow more than the person that is just apathetic and just mundane in their life right yeah. and so whatever path you choose it's not to say that oh I'm non-monogamous so uh, my part and I'm, I'm, I'm a non-monogamous but a non-monogamous person says hey um, I like putting myself in challenging situations seeing or knowing that my fiance is fucking someone else or in an intimate relationship with someone else or whatever it may be or yeah. romantic with someone else because I that's that's my growth edge great it is fantastic I advocate that that's your growth edge brilliant is it my growth edge? I'm sure it would be if I experience it. Do I? Is that what I feel I want to or need to experience? Not necessarily. Other people, it's how far do you want to take your growth edge? It's like, oh, I'm going to chop my arm off. And this is an extreme example because I want to take myself to a growth edge and learn how to function in this physical body with only one arm. Right. Okay. Like, and, and of course, that's a ridiculous example. I'm, I'm very clear on that. Sure, and it's an extreme sure. example. The point I'm making is that People will challenge themselves according to their norms and values and what they believe, be fucking leave to be true for them. Yeah. And so is there – and I'm not, I'm not advocating subjective relativism either here. Although, although, although there is an element of that, I'm not saying that everyone just go do their own thing. There is, there is a, a structure to reality and how we live our lives, but certain things, people are going to be attracted to going to their growth edge and others won't. But if his growth edge or someone else's growth edge is is non-monogamy, then monogamy, if that's really difficult for them, going it's to a growth mono- edge of its own. Of course it is. Yeah. It's just not aligned with their values of where, where they want to be. And it's also not as much of an input, randomized inputs to the limbic system because the reward circuitry is built to constantly seek out fat, sugar. <laughs> you know, for, for women, it might be a man's sexual organs. For a man, it might be women's sexual organs. Like sure. we're wired for this, man. It's why we have so many excitatory hormones that activate when we get these beautiful stimuli coming in, yeah. right? But we uh, can get that in other ways or we can get variety in other ways. I get variety is a human need and a human value. Sure. And so we can get variety in other ways. Sexual variety is not the only form of variety as because that's a common argument or, or disposition of yeah. a non-monogamous, right? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want you on that 
attention no, to karate. I, I loved it because really what we're talking about at the end of the day, at the core of this segment of our conversation is how do we operate as a unit, as wholeness together? How does a man or man, woman or woman, man or woman together, whatever or any kind of, of the other whatever kind gender of, identification, whatever kind of relationship yeah. you want, however you want to classify yeah. it. How do two people have a true pair bonding that's built on cohesive trust and a value system that align? Like, what does that actually look like consistent from, communication. from your perspective? Com- consistent communication is a starting point. And so we, we communicate largely through verbiage, of course, and we give meaning through verbiage. And also verbiage and the, the essence of language resides in illusion as well. And so, and that's a, in Maya, that's a Vedantic or Eastern mystic uh, expression as well. And so <laughs> whilst com- effective, clear communication and the, the development of that between persons, whether it be two people or seven people, depending on your intimate disposition, or of course the other people that are in our lives, is super effective and necessary, it's also all an illusion to some degree. And now, so without getting too esoteric and going on on a tangent here, we make meaning of what we speak to. And so it, it pays for us, come back full circle for him, to be reflective of what we're saying and where's it coming from? What's the come from from our language? And so in, in terms of building trust and building intimacy, i.e. connection, deep yeah. connection, and growing in that, we have to communicate our needs. We have to communicate what we're thinking and feeling. Now we can do that through verbiage and we can do that through nonverbal cues as well. But being present to that and having a desire to do that, moving through the world and through that relationship with intention. So in other words, being deliberate and being clear on what we want to be in that relationship, what we want to do and how we want to act, and then paying attention to how the others are reflecting the information that we're feeding to them back to us. Mm-hmm. Also having a, a, a desire to be mutually respectful and reverent of that person, that, to, to revere them for who they are. Otherwise, if we're not revering that individual, if I don't respect your needs, then what Top of what are we having here? What, what's the dialogue? What's the what's the conversation? What's the communication? What's the narrative between us? What do you? What can you say to? Uh, let's let's focus on just the men, like a heterosexual relationship. If if a man is single right now and he's listening, mm. um, what are the ways of being that you think are most attractive to our current source, our current definition of the feminine in, in modern day society? Truth. Truth. Too many men live in lies. I've been that man. We live in lies and we come across either convoluted, confused, manipulative, shady, untrustworthy because we live in lies. And why do we live in lies? Because we're, we're valuing values over – so, for example, status, accumulation of material goods – or how others see us. We're valuing, those, this is an example, by the way, we're valuing one or all of those or a combination of those three elements over being genuine and just speaking and living in our truth because we're living to the needs or the percept- how we perceive others need to see us in order for us to be loved and liked and de- be deemed worthy. So what we do in the world this, 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 this status is part of doing, doing, doing. The more we do, the more productive we are, the more utility we have in the world, yeah. the more worthy we are. And so we're driven by that. And often it's a wrong type of utility that's not aligned with our core truth. And so we live in lies and we don't even know it. We just fucking talk shit and we live in lies. We don't tell the truth. We don't speak the truth. We don't embody the truth. We don't live the truth. We don't be the truth. And so you want to be attractive to a woman be the truth. Respect yourself. Respect your body. Be a physical fucking specimen. That doesn't mean have 
a 10 pack and sure. be chiseled and spend eight hours at the gym every day. It what do, means what do you respect mean by, your body. What do you mean by being a physical specimen? Because like that could be one thing for a different man. Absolutely, it yeah. could be. In, so this is a really cool conversation. Yeah. This is part of it. For me, it's not so much how you look. It's your ability to respond to your physical environment and be confident in your ability to do so. So for example, if you said to me, you need to right now, you, you have to run, and you've got to get, on your feet, you can't drive, you can't cycle, you can't, you've got to get get to, to your woman as quickly as you can because something's about to happen. I'm confident in my ability to get to her, which is maybe, uh, I don't know, 100 miles away. I don't know how long I'll get there, but I'm confident I'm going to get there because I trust in my physical adeptness because I train my body. Mm-hmm. I prepare my body for a zombie fucking apocalypse. <laughs> That's what I so, say. So it's not about like how somebody actually looks. Ah, it, that's it's, secondary. As a byproduct, you look good. But remember, yeah. looking good is also arbitrary and subjective because how a woman sees you based on her personal experience, we've spoken about this, her, mm-hmm. her personal experiences, her interpretation of what a good man is, good man being someone that's actually suitable for reproduction, uh, how, that how yes. a, a, a stable mate, et cetera, whatever her values are around that, could be very different to the woman next to her. Mm. And so there's no, there's no, there's no norm here. There's no, you know, you're, I, I think you're an attractive man. Thanks, man. And I mean it. I, I feel someone the same else way. May, someone else may not think that. <laughs> so it, it, that's a subjective thing. I'm talking about your utility and your physical adeptness. And there's something very primal about that. There's yeah. an honouring of our masculinity when we're ready for life. Mm. Ready for life. I, I, I ready love- for a zombie. <laughs> ready Are for you the ready zomb- for? Because I'm going to hey, tell you something. Zombie apocalypse. I'm going to tell tomorrow. you something. If zombies came, I want to surround myself with men that can turn it on. Yeah. I want to surround myself with men that aren't scared to do what they need to do to survive. I don't want to surround myself with a man that has no physical adeptness at all, that has no capacity, that hasn't taken his body to fucking bad places. Yeah, I, I can flash back to probably one of the most profound physical trainings ever. It was the Seal Fit, the Mark Divine event. He's a and legend, by the way. He's a total legend. And I can remember the sun was coming up and I, I wanted to quit like 10 times, but we were running down the hill and the sun was coming up and I was like, wow, I'm so much more powerful than I thought. Yep. And it was cheesy. It was that moment where it's like, we're going to take you 20 times further than you ever thought possible. Yep. But I actually felt the lesson. Yep. And I feel like what's missing right now from so many men is this physical practice, yep. right? That's attractive to a woman. That's what I was talking about being, a, and so I spoke about truth being attractive and that's another component. When a woman sees that a man is physically prepared, yeah, that's inspiring. At a at a, gene, at a at a at a at an unconscious genetic level. Yes, and you, you understand that the 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 protection, the pursuing, the providing, like we get that right. Absolutely. Procreation. There's something primal about that. What it's fucking th- sexy? It's totally sexy because it, it really shows like an ownership of one's domain. So like a, a man Bang. has ownership of his domain, right? Yep. But what are the other qualities, man? Because we look at like good men. Like I've heard, I've heard in media, the world needs more good men. But that's culturally relative. What's it? What's it like? What are the qualities for a man in the modern world to go from a, being a good man to a great man? Like what are those qualities? So I'm going to caveat this by saying this is my opinion. And you, if you're not good at being a man first. Don't even fucking worry about being a good man. So being good at being a man is something some of the what we've just spoken about now. Yes. Mastery over certain skills. Having displaying courage, being physically adept, and honoring those values. And so that's being that's part of being good at being a man. That's a far longer conversation, right? So then being a good man comes secondary to that. Because if we focus on being a good man, we don't focus on being good at being a man. 
what does actually being a good man mean? Because are we actually honoring our true sense of masculinity? So back to being a good man, that's very culturally relative. Mm-hmm. It's going to depend on so many different variables. So for me, we've touched on some of those already. Being an avid explorer of the internal self and the external self. Being curious because we're honoring part of our nature and also we're honoring our ancestors. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the curiosity of our ancestors. Mm. Think about that in every way, socially, culturally, biologically, we wouldn't be here. So being an explorer, to me that makes a, a good man as well. Taking ownership and responsibility for who we are and how we behave in the world. That's important. That makes a good man. Not so much being vertically, what I call vertically vulnerable. And so we don't want to vomit out our emotions or vomit out what we're feeling without having some sense of self-reflection first. So being continent with our internal dialogue and our internal self. So we're not just shitting the bed, as you say. <laughs> being, being, being incontinent. That's such an interesting phrase. Yeah, it's an Australian thing. Yeah. So being continent with who we are. Yeah. And being self-reflective. Self-assertion. Self-reliance. These are other qualities that I believe are de- de- define a good man. Compassion. Empathy. Understanding. Courage define a good man for me. The application of this, what underpins, and I'm going to use different verbiage, the new man in contemporary times or what underpins a healthy man in contemporary times for me is a greater, deliberate in my words here, in the use of words, a greater application of inclusivity and sustainability in the way we behave and act. I'll define them. Inclusivity means we're not as segregating. When you look at the world at a social level and a collective level, we segregate. Township, cities, states, countries, this country going to war against that country. Sure. And it trickles Democrat, down Republican, and goes up. pro-life, pro-choice, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm not, again, I'm, I'm, there's a, I'm just advocating a greater level of inclusivity in being more inclusive in the way we make decisions as men, as individuals, and the way we think about life, not being so segregous and not coming from such a place of fear. When we segregate ourselves or we segregate others and we we place ourselves in hierarchy, and there's an element that's required, hierarchy is required in our lives because it's how we function socially at this given point in time in this epoch of our socio-cultural evolution. But we do that at the expense of others' being harmed or at the expense of others not being harmed rather, that's that's harmful. And so the longevity piece comes into, let's move beyond thinking about now, which it's great to be in the present moment, but let's think seven generations ahead. So when we make a decision, how's this going to affect inclusively people that I love and care about and the people that I don't even know? Well, that's an interesting thought because that becomes challenging to do. It's, this is, a, this is a, a profound challenge. And how will it affect seven generations from now at an inclusive level? As, 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 as far as wide and broad you want to in, be inclusive. Yeah. To me, inclusivity and sustainability, greater levels of inclusivity and sustainability underpin being a healthy contemporary man in contemporary times. Now, some people may disagree with that. Because it's not honouring our nature, we have to be segre- we have to be segregating. We have to be exclusive. We have to develop and cultivate hierarchy. We have to have an in group and an out group. I don't necessarily disagree with that. What I'm saying is it's too extreme in our behaviour in society today. 
the in-group, out-group mentality. It's too extreme. So then really to cap this segment, it's like we have this uprising of the feminine. Mm. We, have, we have so much power Which coming through. Which there are through. issues with as well, by the so way. So much power coming through for the feminine right now. Which is beautiful and as well, by it's, the way. It's a beautiful thing, but, <laughs> but really to kind of, and, and I love the points that you've made and really about leaving a legacy. It's almost like, hey, would seven generations, would my great, 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 great grandchild be honored and be, and be respectful of the way that I've been in my life. Does my legacy yeah, based reflect- Based on the values of today that, we've, that, we, that are important to us. Reflect yeah. positively on him. But then we look at right now, Stephanos, this is like the craziest time to be a man. It's also the most exciting because yeah. we can have this full spectrum of emotion. Yeah. The challenge though that I find as a single man, and, and I think a lot of men find, is how exactly do we meet the feminine in this container where- they have the power and they expect men literally just to be like the spiritual Superman. I flash back to a moment I had with Boysen Hodgson on the show, the founder of Mankind Project. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's the feminine man. has developed power literally, if you look at evolution, overnight. And all of a sudden, they're snapping yeah. fingers and saying, all right, men, come to it. We have the power now and like, you know, fall in line and do what we, we would like you to do. And he's like, you know, what, what the feminine doesn't recognize right now is the masculine hasn't had time to grieve the old way of being masculine. It hasn't had time to feel. It hasn't had time to you feel know, it. We're asking, we're, in, in psychological terms, we're asking someone to, to forgive themselves without them. You can't forgive and you can't release and you can't let go and you can't move on without feeling the, the full spectrum of feelings. And so men are moving through that at the moment. But to answer your question is, is how, do, how do men step up to that? Yeah. If they step up to meeting the, the feminine consciousness where she's at by not effeminating themselves, by not being effeminate men. Because the moment men think that women want other women or female men or feminine men- We're done for. They're wrong. Yeah. And so it's this honoring of being in a healthy masculine posture. Now, that's all good and well to say that. But in order to get to that healthy masculine posturing and expression, we have to feel, and that requires time, that requires experience, that does require, in my own personal experience, brother, I have grown the most, the most, and the fastest when I have been held in compassion and understanding by the feminine. And I've grown so much just being with Christine because she sees me in non-judgmental ways. That for me, brother, is liberating. Yeah. And when a man experiences that, I fucking promise you, this is a message to the women out there as well and to the men. When a man experiences, and I know it's hard. I get it. I get it from my perspective, the only, the best place I can understand it from is that women have been ostracized and oppressed for generations, millennia. And that is a hard place to come from. And I can't imagine what that may feel like. I can only imagine from, from the levels of deep empathy that I have. And I am an empath but I'm also not a woman experiencing prejudice and discrimination in this lifetime, in this, in this world as it is today. I am a Caucasian male. Well, my genetic profile doesn't completely say that. Yes, but I'm, you're a dark-skinned Caucasian male with I'm tattoos. A Cauc <laughs> yeah, I'm a Caucasian male. Uh, mid, mid, uh, I think I'm officially in my – I'm still in my mid-30s. Oh, mid I'm in my mid-30s. Well, I mean, 37 – Come on, okay. bro. Mid-quasi-late. Quasi-late. Quasi okay, I'll take that. Quasi-late. Okay. Mid to late 30s. Yeah, yeah. A male, I my socioeconomic class is is middle to upper middle class, whatever that may be. I, I'm I'm very blessed in terms of how I'm viewed in the world. So I'm coming from that place, and I own that. I get that. I I don't make any assumptions that yeah. I know what any minority groups or any any groups that are highly discriminated against uh, systemically and overtly experience. 
And all I can say is that from my experience, when I when I've been held in that compassion, understanding, and the forgiveness, so we, you know, I forgive you, and I see this in some beautiful, amazing women around the world. And it begins with my fiance. Man to men grow and heal and move through and beyond so quickly. And what what a woman wants, and I don't want to claim to know what she wants. Every woman, because everyone everyone is different, of course. There are some elements of self that we could all agree on when yeah. a man shows up in a particular way and a woman shows up in a particular way. Like that's inspiring and that's there's a naturality to that. And when we come from that place and that the 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 feminine is able the collective feminine is able to be compassionate and understand and forgive, everyone wins. Everyone wins. I feel like right now what we're facing as masculine, feminine, no matter what gender's involved, it's really this moment where I think we're all realizing the only reason the war of the sexes continues is because we hold on to the swords. Like, can we all just do the work to learn how to put down the shield, put down the sword and actually just connect, like literally drop the walls. It's yeah. what's talked about in all of personal development. Yeah. There's thousands of books written on it for a reason. Yep. But I think that's really where we stand right now. And I just want to take this moment, man, to take a deep breath with you and honor, like truly honor. It's been amazing to become your friend. It's been amazing to have this conversation with you. I know that people have had multiple moments where they're feeling like, wow, Steph actually gets it. And he has a story that makes me trust him even more. (sighs) Where can they go? Not just to learn about you. Not just to like dig into your work, mm. where can they actually go where you're the most active and where they get access to you right now? Firstly, thank you for just you and your friendship and how you show up and your art and your mastery in this space because you bring out the best in people. You're, you're, an, you're an amazing human being on so many levels. I'm most active on Instagram and Facebook. Stefanos Safanos is my handle. Uh, and, and really from there you'll you'll learn so much about me in, yeah. in, in different respects. Yeah. And for, I'm, for the men listening, you yeah. do have a private Facebook group, yes, which conscious I'm, I'm active in as yeah. well. So is some of the men in this community. Um, just so excited, Stefanos, for what you're creating, man. Yeah. You, you're, and I've told you this in person, you're, you're filling a vacuum that was left here, not just in North County. And I know if it's in North County, I know it's in the rest of the country mm. where there's, there's a leadership void for men. There's a leadership void yeah. for men leading other men to these values that'll actually meet the feminine where she's at. So I'm going to direct people to that as well. Yeah. There's so many things that we didn't explore, which oh. we'll, we'll do on another show. Oh, I hope so. yeah. <laughs> we'll do on another show, yeah. but, but I'd love for you to talk about this intersection, man, that I find myself at all the time yeah. and it's how do I live my life well and what is the physical and emotional intelligence that I want to bring in yeah. so that I can actually do that and and really it defines itself as wellness like how do you see wellness in your life like what does wellness mean to mm. Stephanos integration and so for me wellness means having aptitude and awareness of my emotional being my spiritual being my physical being and my psychological being and my relational being and so when I carry integrity in that and I'm in constant conversation with myself on this, when I carry integrity in those five aspects of self, the five bodies of the self, I feel whole and I feel well. 
and so part of the physical is nutrition and movement, of course, and, and all the good things, whether it be herbal tea, whether it be infrared, whether it be meditating naked in front of the infrared. <laughs> <laughs> That's my go-to. That's your go-to. You know, whether it be all the good things, the incense, the sound, the, you know, whatever it may be, nurturing the physicality, to, to nurturing relationships, to conscious, aware communication, to being mindful or present to what other people's needs are, to whatever it may be, to being studious and being willing to learn. I'm give you some examples you know to being spiritual and for me spirituality is connectedness so nurturing my connected relationships the intimate relationships and, and going deep into those because depth is depth and profoundness is a value that i have in relationships it's linked intimately linked to growth and meaning and fulfillment in those relationships to really allowing myself to tap into the spectrum of emotions that we have access to and not limiting myself to just one or two yeah and so when i'm in integrity in that that to me defines wellness. And to me, that's synonymous with what I call sovereign leadership, which I've developed a model around. We're talking about leadership earlier. It is about the wellness is comes from being self-sustaining in one's own leadership practice, leading self first and making that a priority and a primary drive for how we are in the world. Mm. If you felt something, well, I know you felt something. Reach out to Steph on Instagram. Also, we're talking about this so much more, wellnessforce.com forward slash group. Steph, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I got I love lots you, of brother. love for you, dude. So thanks much, so much. Okay. Thank you. Hey, my friend. Thank you for hanging out and growing with me today. Everything you learn on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 200 world-class guests and counting, we've distilled the gems, the best of the best science-backed practices down into a 21-minute morning system guaranteed to increase the positive flow in your day. Get this free and powerful 21-minute life-changing system over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. If you enjoyed this episode, tap your phone, share it with someone you care about because that is how we all get better together. Supporting the show is easy. Leave us a five-star review right now from your phone. It helps us reach other smart and conscious people like you. Either tap your phone and hit the link in purple that says review this podcast or go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. And this show doesn't stop here. We're continuing the discovering process in our private Facebook group. You can be a part of it. All you have to do is go to wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I'll welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and live your life well. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness 